<clears throat> welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mac Attack Show. I'm your host, Jay Mac, and I'm delighted and excited that you're here with us today. And I'm also excited because I have my friend and my brother, Kyle Adams. If you're listening near or far, go ahead and put your hands together and let's give God some praise for Brother Kyle Adams and the work that he does. In fact, I'm not going to steal his thunder. I'm going to ask my friend and brother to tell us some things about his son. Well, first, first, I, I want to thank you, uh, Mac, for, for this opportunity to, to be on your platform, uh, to share with your audience. Um, excited to be on the Mac Attack. Uh, as, as, as Mac said, my name is Kyle Adams. Uh, I've had the opportunity to, to coach at various levels um, in basketball over the last 25 years. Uh, I've coached from the middle school level uh, all the way up to NCAA Division One, junior college, Division Two, Division Three, NAI. Um, about 11 years ago, I got an opportunity to start coaching women uh, at my alma mater. And when I started coaching women, it really changed my life. It gave me a, a greater insight into what we as coaches can provide for, for the young people that we coach. And um, I fell in love with, you know, recognizing that young women need positive examples of, of manhood and how we engage them on, on a daily basis how this experience doesn't last for just the four years we coach, coach them, it lasts for the next 40. So really being able to have that type of influence and impact really, really excited me. Um, I got an opportunity, I've, I've coached, wow, I've coached at Cheney University, which is my undergraduate alma mater, North Carolina Central University, uh, Delaware State University, and most recently, uh, I was the associate head coach at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff in the Southwestern Athletic Conference. Um, about three years ago, I, in addition to my coaching, uh, I got I started an endeavor, a leadership development business called It's Bigger Than a Ball. And through it, I've, I've had an opportunity to work with various institutions and organizations and helping them to expand their leadership uh, dexterity and how we deal and work with, um, encourage and nurture uh, young people. Young people, our coaches, the people we serve, um, and really having greater levels of intention uh, in, in being locked in to, to making sure that those that we engage are transformed by their experiences with us. So I recently, uh, accepted a position as the head girls basketball coach at the Shipley School uh, outside of Philadelphia. I'm, I'm a husband, uh, I'm a father, uh, I'm a son, uh, and I'm an encourager. I'm someone who wants to add value to others. So uh, I, I hope I haven't talked too long, but I hope I- No, not at all, not at all. That's awesome, so thank you. Thank you, and this episode is dedicated to college athletics and college sports. I believe Lord laid you on my heart to be an ideal person to talk about the nature of college athletics and where it is today. Um, 
<clears throat> although it's been well over 100 years of college athletics has taken place, whether it be football, basketball, and so many other sports, the nature of the game evolves. It changes. It takes shifts. It, it has ebbs and flows. But before we get into some of those dynamics of, of the game behind the game and why it is bigger than the ball, many people say, many fans uh, love college athletics. In fact, I know many people that say they prefer watching college basketball over the NBA or even college football over the NFL. Why would you say, what, what is it about college athletics that makes it so much fun and for some people so much more appealing? I think it's, I think that's a great question, Mac. And, and I would, I would say I've, I've always been one of those people who, who really enjoy college athletics. Um, and I think it's attached to what we've been led to believe is the quote unquote purity of the sport. Um, because they are quote unquote amateurs, they're doing it for the love. But I think, um, and I think that that's a noble ideal to think about. But when you look at the money that these different institutions and governing bodies are making um, on the back, so to speak, of uh, these these amateurs, um, quote it's really, quote unquote, it's concerning. You know, you look at uh, the NCAA, you know, March Madness. That basketball tournament, that contract is in the billions. And you have, you know, young people who play in that tournament who really ball out and they see none of that. So, you know, Still and I'm sure ramen noodles, right. peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, mom and dad or mom is still struggling at home. It, it seems a little unfair. Right. So, you know, for me and I, I can. You know, you you this is a this is a rabbit hole that we can go down because when when you start to think about the disparity and and what student athletes are getting from this uh, from this experience and and based on what the institutions and um, the organizations are making from it, you know, you start to look at things like like the wealth gap and you know how people are able to. Uh, to change their families for, you know, for generations to come. So that's, that's been a great deal of, of, of interest for me and, and watching, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. A lot of what's going on in the college ecosystem now, you know, providing athletes an opportunity to take, take full advantage of, you know, those things that, that name image and likeness that, that, that we're hearing a lot about now. Yeah. I of course, it's hard to have a conversation about college ball right now and not talk about NIL, name, image, likeness. And, and so many parents now are excited because they're like, okay, we can get the bag even if they don't make it to the NBA. Like so many parents have this perception that their child is so great. And I'm not saying that they're not, but you know, so many parents place their child on a pedestal and, and now it's become a business, in my humble opinion. Um, it's become a business. It's been a way for folks to get out um, of whatever situation they're in. And, and some parents, I would go as far as are making their children a brand. In fact, um, we've seen LeVar Ball do it. You know, at the time, 
he seemed to be coach's worst nightmare because he was so much into the situation. But from a financial standpoint, it looks like he was he was right on, on, on point as far as marketing his children, making sure that no matter what happens, no matter how successful they are, and they haven't put up the best numbers, I think one of them will do very well. If At least two of them will do very well. I think, um, was it Lamar and Leangelo? I think those two are, are better than Lazo, but that's a whole nother conversation. Okay. But <laughs> my, my, my question to you is, did Lonzo Ball get it right? Uh, and, and, and can you speak to parents about bringing your child up, whether it's AAU, high school, bringing your child up and being conscious or aware of the game behind the game and, and how it's bigger than the ball? And, and you can address the importance of getting a degree, marketing, getting connected to the right coach. I mean, there's so many layers to this, but but I just wanted to get your perspective on that. Well, I, I you know, it, it's funny, Mac, because, you know, watching, watching LeVar Ball at the beginning, you know, you, it was a bit concerning. But I think also, you know, you've got you to gotta look at it, how, how LeVar Ball was presented to us in the media. Right. So there, you know, there was a narrative that was kind of created to, you know, to to kind of give you your perspective on, you know, Lonzo, uh, I'm sorry, LeVar Ball. Yeah, LeVar. And, you know, I, I think with today's and everything comes down to the to what's happening today in sport. And I think he's done a great job of putting his children in a position um, to take full advantage of the system and not allow the, the system to just take advantage of them. Because you and I both know that there are far too many cases of parents who, were, who weren't very informed or educated on the system in the process. And they kind of just went with what people told them. And, you know, their, their young people may have not come out of the institution with a degree. They may not have come out, and in a degree, let's be clear, earning a college degree, it's important. And, and Mac, you and I are of the generation where that was one of the biggest things our, our, our parents felt as though that they could do for us to help give us a shot to make it. Absolutely, especially if you were first generation. Right. I, I, I'm second generation, so it was a big deal to my parents because their parents worked multiple jobs, sacrificed. So they could get the degree. Right. And, and my parents, it was big to them. And, and I tell my wife, you know, it's big to me that our kids at least have an opportunity. Now, I, right. I understand some people have the entrepreneurial gift. Right. Some people are military. So everybody doesn't have to go to college, but they at least should excel that they have a choice. So, so I, yeah. I agree totally with you. Um, I, I my my question and this is coming from over 20 years working in higher ed. My question at times is based around when we talk about, you know, well, kids need to go to college so they can become educated. So I, I question sometimes what are they being educated with and to do? You know, let's be clear, the, 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 the college model was created to, you know, for the workforce, for people to go work for other people. And I think what you see today with, um, when you talk about 
young people and, and people in general wanting to create things of their own. I think that that's noble. And, and, and there's models and examples that are being shown that people don't have to go to college route in order to do that. So I, I, and I, and I say this to you as someone who, who sees a great deal in the value that I've had in being able to go and get a bachelor's degree, to go on and get a master's degree, but also understanding that those are just, those, those are just credentials. You know, it's, it's what we, we, the information that we learn to help build things for ourselves. And I think you're seeing, you're seeing a revolution in where parents and young people are wanting to create their own narrative and, and do something different um, for their, them, themselves. And so I, I commend LeVar Ball in, in having the audacity and, and, the, and the courage and, and to not, you know, not being willing to fit in to, 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 you know, to what society says, how he should raise his kids and the kids should go to college and play four years and all those different things. I think he 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 he's been a model of what it looks like. Now, have his tactics been a, a bit and his his approach and delivery been a bit, you know, different? They have, but his chill. All three of his children have an opportunity to play in in the National Basketball Association and to make money and to create a brand that can change the trajectory of their family for generations to come. And we've seen other groups of people have that opportunity to do it. So why not, why not the balls and, 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 and people like that? Right. I, and I, I have often wondered, did LeVar Ball get that from someone? Cause I feel like he's not the first person to do it, but maybe because of his hue. And like you said, the media presentation, he, he came off, I guess, too harsh for some people. He's he's and definitely not. When you start thinking about um, Todd Marinovich, right? Who played uh, was a quarterback at USC. Yep. You know, went to the Raiders. Right. He was programmed. Right. He was a machine. Right. So, so yeah, I, I definitely don't think uh, he's the first, but he caught a lot of criticism. And I've even heard people compare the Ball brothers to the Holiday brothers and say, well. You know, they took the more quiet approach, but I, I I don't know. I think Ball was on to something. Of course, you know, you don't want to come off offensive to people, but generational wealth is a thing and doing what you have to do to get that. It's not, it's not totally bad. So I, no. I, the, the more we see the Ball brothers and the image or the branding that has come from their success, I, I kind of applaud them. And, and, and I, I, I always appreciate visionaries who can mm -hmm. see uh, see past what's now and look at what's next. And so I think he did a great job. And so my question to you now is, because he was an informed parent. He had played college ball, but he also did his research. A lot of parents, I would argue, are uninformed about how, how this works. So what are some key things that you could tell parents who have uh, middle school, because I would say it's you don't wait till 10th grade to try to figure some of this stuff out. You you need your kid on the go by sixth, seventh, no later than eighth grade. 
What, what are some things that you would like to inform parents that maybe some parents don't know or just some basic essentials of how to make your child college ready? What, what are some essentials that non-negotiables that they have to do and you as a parent have to know to help equip your child to be college ready uh, as a student athlete? So, so I look at I look at things from a lens of, you know, being a college coach and recognizing that uh, my our profession is based around uh, the success of of student athletes, and you know, the first thing that I think is vitally important that that a lot of people sometimes miss the ball on is your your child has to be academically ready and if they're not if they're not doing the work in the classroom it doesn't matter how how good they are um it's going to make it extremely difficult you know for them to be able to have levels of success now you know you start talking about well where we're good enough we can go straight to the pros oh okay Okay, maybe, but the, 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 the vast majority are coming through the high school to college um, ecosystem. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's number one and really, you know, giving, giving these student athletes, these, these scholar athletes as, 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 as my line brother, uh, Tracy Jones would say, you know, these scholar athletes, giving them the resources they need to be successful academically and making sure that they're learning. I think it's vitally important for, for parents to really, to not just look at what's hot. So I, I look at it in this lens, right? If, you know, your child, you know, your child may be a scholarship athlete. Most of young people today desire to play Division I basketball. The thought is it's on television, they travel, they, they have all these, these bells and whistles, right? But I know a great deal of student athletes who've, who've played Division I basketball, who've at some point ended up transferring, at some point have, had, um, have not had great relationships with their coach, have gone to institutions where they haven't, they might even, they, the school might not even have the major that they're interested in, right. right? And so what's to say that you can't go to, so I, I think it's important for parents to look at, is this, a, is this a person who's going to be involved? Is this coach a person who's going to be involved in my child's life for, for the next four years? Or their teammates, people that they can build real genuine relationships with. Do they like their teammates, right? Can I come to this school and be one of the better players to ever play at this institution, right? And, and, and to be very candid, a lot of parents are more concerned with the logo, right? So my child, you know, it makes it, it's really sexy to go into the barbershop Saturday morning and say that my child is playing at Big Illinois. State. Yeah. yeah. 
but they're not playing. Right. They're just on the end of the bench. They're not having a great experience. Academically, they're suffering. Socially, they're suffering. But because of the parents and, and their ego and, and ego needs, you know, young people were, are thrust into these environments. And, and so that's that's concerning. And that's a big issue. That's why the transfer portal is, is close to a thousand kids. Because mm-hmm. People are making decisions on colleges based on bad information and based on things that don't really matter. You know, and and I'm, you know, having attended a Division II institution like you, you know, there's great value in, in Division II schools, right? And right. you can get to where you want to from those places. You know, and I think those those things need to be better exposed to parents, right? You know, you have, you have young people, and, th- and this is the type of thing that's going on right now. You know, a Division two or Division three coach will contact a young person. Well, I'm not interested. I, I'm waiting on a Division one. Well, how many offers do you have? None. So you're 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 willing to sacrifice and pass up and I someone who wants you because of the perceived value and and prestige of division one. You know, and, and the goal should be, and, and that's the other part of it is I think it's important for parents to recognize that, you know, the, the goal is for, for many is to have an opportunity to get their education paid for. Division one is not the only school that does that or is not the only level. And let me, let me be clear, NCAA division one is not the only level that does that. You know, I think people are becoming more uh, knowledgeable, but not as much as they should. There are NAI institutions, the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, those are full scholarship opportunities. Some of those schools have full scholarship opportunities also. And then there's Division Two and Division Three, where, you know, of course, Division Three doesn't offer athletic scholarship, but if they've handled their business in the classroom, there, there is academic money. Division Two, most Division Twos, um, there's a, there's a. At least a partial. Yeah, well, it's a partial, one, but it's, you can get, you can get, academic money and athletic money. So I, I think it's important for parents to become more educated on all of the institutions. If your child can play, they will find them. Right. And I think it's it's important to recognize you you've got to you got to you you got to look at who wants you and who's interested in you. Right. Because I know a great deal of athletes who passed up on opportunities and now, you know, those people move on. The other thing I think is vitally important, and, and I think it's important to mention, with everything that's going on with the pandemic, high school students, there are still a lot of really uh, talented, qualified high school student athletes who aren't getting the same you know, opportunities based around because of what's going on with the pandemic institutions finances have changed they may be there's a lot of interest in 
the transfer portal. So a lot of people are recruiting from the transfer portal now. They're not, they might not even be looking at high school student athletes. So in order for you as a high school student athlete, you have to really stand out if you want to get attention and, and receive, you know, opportunities at, at these various levels. It's the transfer portal because you don't know sometimes at the high school level, it's very different to once you get to the college level. You got to get up in the morning for weights, study hall. You know, your your schedule is manipulated in a way where you being a, a scholarship athlete is a full-time job. And you don't have that same, um, you don't have that same time. And sometimes young people don't want that. So, but you know, if you go into that transfer portal and get a student athlete, that's someone who's been college tested, they're battle ready, right? Coaches use a term, Matt, you know, I don't want to recruit GMFers. You know what a GMFer is? Get me fired, mm. right? And so a lot of the thought right now is based around going into that portal and getting, you know, battle-tested, competition-ready student-athletes. So high school students have to really be, they've got to be on their game right. in, this, in this current landscape. So are there more transfers now than usual? Like, are we in a, a season in which more people are transferring, looking for a better situation? Because uh, when I went to school, I wanted to transfer after my freshman year. I was like, um, <laughs> and I, I need to go to an HBCU. Like this, this, this just isn't working. Um, um, short, I'll make a, a, a long story short. Um, they had a kid, he, there were some games, he would play the first set and then I would play the rest of the game. And I was like, Hey, I can't, I can't do this. Dad. Like, <laughs> I was like, you know, I felt like there was racism involved. I love my coach. I, I love my coaching staff. I truly enjoy. But when I first got there, I was like, you know, I no, I can't do this. But I was encouraged to stay because back then, it's like, hey, you stay unless unless something really drastic happens, you stick it out for four years. Um, but it sounds like people are are transformed more. Would you say that? It, it definitely is, and. Yeah. and that's the current culture. You know, when you look at high school, you know, there, there, are, there are young people in high schools today. I, I, there's someone, a, a player that stands out to me um, in Philadelphia, Mac, who played for three different high schools wow. over the course of four years. And, and, and I think this, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this as we move further. Some, there, there are a lot of moving parts with that. Some of it's coaching, and some of it is 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 us as parents, you know, wanting it to to make things easy for our children, right? And and feeling like our children need to be playing right away, um, and we wanna we wanna we wanna provide them with the least path uh, of resistance, and you know, a lot of that a lot of that is prevalent in college athletics today. 
And, and that's why you have a great, a lot of coaches recruiting from that transfer portal. Um, you know, and, and, and a lot of what's going on in the landscape now is, you know, you don't have to let your coaches know when you want to transfer. Right. You can just go. They, you can, they just, put, you can just put your name in the portal and yeah. they find out. Yeah. Right. So what's the stop? What's the stop? If you and I are coaching, coaching against each other, what's to stop me and the handshake line after the game from telling one of your players, you know, we'd love to have you here. Put your name in the portal. Does that happen? I mean, that just and, doesn't I mean, seem ethical. <laughs> and, and, but what's, what's happening is a lot of the ethics are, are, are leaving college athletics because this is becoming prevalent okay, or it's money. been prevalent. Yeah. You know, when, when you as a coach know that you got to win 25, 30 games a year, you got to make the conference tournament. You got to make the national tournament. Your boosters are on you. And then all of that is on social media. You know, a lot of coaches are feeling a great deal of pressure to win. Yeah. And so they'll do that in whatever way that they have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to the, that point about the pressure about winning, I, I can only imagine. Because um, at one time, if you lost, you know, maybe teams in your conference would know you weren't doing too well. But like my program, Bloomsburg, um, when I was there, if we lost two games, that was a bad season. I, I mean, that's, <laughs> uh, our coach was a Hall of Fame caliber coach. Um, but like I was looking at the record this year, they're one in three. Right. And some of the alumni are having fits. Like, mm -hmm. hey, what's going on? This is not us. We don't do this. Now, the guy's only been there a year. I'm like, hey, give him a chance. Uh, he's in Bloomsburg Hall of Fame, was a great linebacker. Hey, let's let's just wait this out. But they're like, no. <laughs> alumni right. are like, no. And then, like you said, when boosters get involved and they're spending money and, and we have so many new amenities, amenities, um, because of guys like um, one of my sons in the fraternity who played pro ball, shout out to Jerry Evans. Yep, yep. Well, they give back and people want to see a return on their investment. Right. And, and so, yeah, I could only imagine winning is more pressure and going back to the transfer piece, I guess for, for some parents, they, the grass just always looks greener on the other side. And so they're constantly looking for that greener grass. But I, I guess my concern is people need that stability. Um, shifting from one program to another when do you ever develop a relationship with your coach where because it's bigger than the ball i mean who who is that person that let's just throw hypothetical scenarios out there when you get your girlfriend pregnant if you haven't been there but two or three months does this coach really care <laughs> that you that you now have this life change uh or when your parents get a divorce i'm thinking about several scenarios i've seen my teammates in college go through when your parents go through a divorce and you're, you're stressed out, like, can you really talk to that coach? Because you haven't been there but a month or two because you just transferred from another program. I think folks really need to think about it and be careful. And then here's another piece that I like to add. And I had a conversation with a young man this past week about it. He wants to transfer um, because he feels like it's the, the school he's at doesn't get enough media coverage. And, and I told him you can't leave because it's not just about you. 
our, our high school has a reputation of kids not finishing. And so guys, I know guys on the college level that don't like to recruit in our area because many kids either drop out or transfer. And, and so one of the things I tell kids, and I know this is a, a lot of weight for a 17 and 18 year old, but I tell them, it's not just about you at this point. Once you're trying to go to the next level, there are some 13, 12, 11 year old kids right behind you that need you to do well. Um, is, is there anything that you'd like to speak to about that? Because I, I feel like that's an important factor that people don't take into consideration. I think you you raise a great point. And um, to, to back up, you talked about, uh, you know, I, I think I think when it comes back to Mac, when in the recruiting process, parents and uh, and student athletes, they've they've got to they've got to get succinct on what it is they're really looking for. And so, you know, a question I pose is, you know, in the in the process. You know, so you talked about you talked about young man. You know, him and his his girlfriend gets pregnant, or the parents get divorced. Is that coach a transformational coach, or are they a transactional coach? Mm -hmm. And you know, when you talk about transformational, you know, we talk about impacting people's lives, changing. You know, I want. As a coach, I want the experience that student athletes have with me to have been a defining moment in their lives. You know, for us, to, the experience that they've had with us and our coaching staff to, to help shape them into who they are. Now, there are a lot of coaches who are, you know, transactional and it's about what have you done for me lately? And it's about what you provide and what you perform on that field. And I think a lot, a lot of parents need to be more in tune with that because, and, and I think the other concern is Mac, a lot of times the transactional coach, they're the ones who have all the quote unquote, you know, resources. Resources, yep. Right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so, and, and for a lot of them, they can, they almost feel like they can be transactional because we're going to chase those resources and, and those things in, in, the, in the bright lights. And um, that's always been really concerning for me. You know, I, I a couple years ago, uh, I used to, I, I used to do these videos and, and just think just different things that I'd see in the landscape. And, you know, think about this, Matt, you, we, there are student athletes that go play for college coaches, right? Who, who their political, social uh, views and context are totally opposite of their family, right? You, you, you want me to come play at this institution and you want me to come play for you, but I can't go vote 
on, on election day because we have to practice. Because me having an opportunity to vote and you not really caring about voting, me having this opportunity to do that has a bigger impact and influence on, on my family, on my community. So I'm always leery of coaches, you know, who go in and take kids out of communities that they have no level of investment. In. So, and I think that's important for families to really strongly consider. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I know we'll talk more about this, the state of coaching today, but that I find, you know, I find that we as parents and, you know, people who are in the best interest of young people, who advocate for young people, need to be asking these questions of coaches. You know, and that's why I'm, I'm such a big proponent of, of coaches reading uh, John Thompson's book, I Came as a Shadow. Because Coach Thompson understood the importance. I couldn't, I can't just go and, and bring you to this school and have no level of commitment or, uh, or using my platform to influence what's going on in these communities that these young people come from. He said, uh, he said, you know, we, we not just going to act like we don't see everything that's going on in the neighborhoods and communities around this country and act like we just gonna be focused on trying to win a national championship. And we don't have, I don't see us having that same, those same levels of those type of coaches in today's ecosystem. And I think a lot of it's around, it's based around the money, right. so. Right. Um, since we're here, we haven't said it yet, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. Historically Black colleges and universities. Great impact on the game, whether it's basketball, football, any sport you name, HBCUs have had a major impact. It feels like more and more parents are open to their kids going to these prestigious institutions. In fact, some are being more intentional about it. Um, and the only danger I see is people doing it just to say, I, I, you know, for the culture, I'm doing it for a black school. I still think it's important to know the coach and, and know if the coach is transformational, that genuinely cares about your kids versus transaction. Um, and, and this, this conversation could even get into these former professional athletes who are now coaches. Um, one would assume they may be more transactional and, and I don't know, but it, it's a scary, it's a scary thing just to, just to go based off of a name or a label. Um, I think we need to do a, a better job of being intentional about getting to know where you're sending your kid. Um, but my question is, where do you see HBCU sports going? Um, and, and I'm taking into consideration institutions like, I love Cheney, great school. Um, I know there have been times where there was concern about you know, the, the livelihood of the institution, about how much longer it will remain open. And, and, and so where, where would you say HBCU sports are, 
are currently at with this in regards to recruiting, program development, and competing with these, these other institutions, the PWIs, like, like the Bloomsburgs and the Westchesters where I went. Oh, I went to Bloomsburg, but um, just where, where would you say we are at? Um, at one time, competition was greater, I would argue, at HBCUs. But once um, PWIs, I would say, especially in the late 60s, early 70s, started recruiting the best. I, let me not say the best. Started recruiting great athletes from these communities that they were not invested in, that they did, were not familiar with. I argue it hurt HBCUs. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Uh, but it, I, I'm hoping that we're in the, the, the middle of an upswing where competition levels and athletes and coaches, I can't stress this enough, and coaches are better. Um, and you know better than I do. I have been at games where people would say, you match up the athletes at this HBCU versus this PWI, they're just as good, or if not better. But the difference was coaching. And, and so where, where would you say, and I, I just asked a loaded question with a lot of parts, but I'll, I'll try to bring it into, where would you say HBCU athletics are currently at? So let me give a shout out to my alma mater, uh, Cheney University of Pennsylvania, founded February 25th. 1837, go Wolves. Uh, this, is, this is a really important question and a near and dear question to me, Matt. Um, I think there's a lot that's going on um, in the landscape surrounding HBCU athletics uh, based around the social context of what's going on or what's been going on in our country, but... Right. Um, you know, I, I think I think people have always kind of, uh, you know, and, it, and it's it's a bigger it's a it's a bigger issue and concern. But I think that that people have kind of always looked down on HBCUs based on what they didn't have compared um, to majority institutions. Absolutely. And you know, I've always been a big believer and proponent and, you know, I don't, I don't consider our schools low resource institutions. I, I, I tell people that the resources are different and I tell them we, our institutions are based in the greatest resource and that's human resource, you know, and talking about those people, not just that coach, but that residence hall director like Brother Donzel Tiller was for me, right? That- uh, Shout out to Till, yep, yes sir. Yep. You know, that, that professor, that lady in the lunchroom, you know, those people who were committed to seeing you persist and be successful, you know, recognizing, you know, that, it's their responsibility to, to lift as they climb, you know, and they're lifting us and helping us to achieve things. They, they understand that, you know, this opportunity can change our family for generations to come. And, you know, at other institutions, 
you may just be a number, you know, and it may just be based around what they receive from the transaction. So I think, you know, for me, those are the things that I've always talked about in the recruiting process with student athletes that have considered coming to the HBCUs that I've served at. Um, I, I, I think there are some good things going on in HBCU athletics right now. And, and I think, and you know, like anything else, everything rises and falls on leadership. You know, I'm watching what's going on with the SWAC conference right now. And they have an outstanding dynamic leader um, in, in, in Charles McClellan. And they were just able to add two schools. They were able to add uh, Florida and m Bethune Cookman. Um, you know, with with this, and then they've been able to attract some high-level coaches, some high-profile coaches. Um, my concern stems a, a lot around, you know, them just not using our institutions as stepping stones, you know, but really being it's everyone's concern. Yeah, them really being committed um, to what to the values of our schools and, and what our schools have to offer. And, you know, to your question about, you know, seeing our schools be able to compete with the power five schools, I think and, and this is. I really believe this, um, and I talk to a lot of coaches in the in the, in the, in the HBCU ecosystem. I don't think we should be trying. Our institution should be trying to compete with schools at the Power Five. Our schools weren't in their in their construction and infancy weren't created. That the values of the schools weren't created for us to 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 operate at the Power Five level. And what's important at that level. What our schools have and what they provide is unique. And I think it's good enough, Matt. Now, the other issue that I would, would say, and I've had different conversations with people. I want you to think about this, Matt. When you look at, when you look at top institutions, you look at, so let's say a Notre Dame, People of the Catholic faith give to Notre Dame, whether they went to school there or not, right? You look at Brigham Young. Mormons, people of the Mormon faith give to that institution, regardless if they went to school there or not. And you have tons of different institutions who, are, who have affiliations based on uh, culture or um, I, I would not say race, but religious affiliation, right? Who have, who may not go to the institution, but support the institution. What if we, as, as, as a community, regardless of where we went to school, gave to, to HBCUs, right? So now- Be a game changer. Right. What would that look like for our institutions over the next 20 years? You know, I have an eight-year-old son. He, he likes football right now. I don't know what he'll play, but if he wants to go to college and play a sport, I don't want him to not be able to choose this institution because their facilities 
the it comes down to an issue of facility, or it comes down to their ability to to attract a high level coach. And I think those are sometimes the separators when people are making these decisions. But you know, I, I come back to you know that institution that has a brand new student center or has the brand new gym. Um, that doesn't mean that that's always the best place for people. And I've right. seen and I've seen people and know people just like you do who've left quote unquote high level, high resource institutions and gone to quote unquote lower level institutions and had transformative experiences. And I think those are we need to highlight those stories and those people because then it lets our our it lets a demo, you know the demographic know that I can make it here, and that and then it comes and, and I'm gonna tell you this, Mac. It ultimately comes down to what you as a parent value and what's important to you. Is it important for you to have people around your child who will care for them, love them, um, not just for the time they're there, but for the rest of their lives, or for them to be in an environment where they may not feel the same level of nurturing and love um, and compassion, investment in their holistic growth and development. And I think that's a question that a lot of parents are wrestling with right now. But I also think, and 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 I'm this is because this is this there's a lot of there's a lot around this question, man. That's why I think you have these institutions while you have NIL now, where these schools, you can go to these, these institutions and you can take full advantage of all the resources, all the boosters, all the different, um, all the different bells and whistles and, and people that have come and, and, and are associated with that institution. I think that we can do the same at ours. We just have to be more strategic. Yeah. Um, so when NIL first, you know, when I first really started hearing about it years ago, I was like, you know, that's great as a former college athlete. I think it's it could be beneficial. Um, my concern was it's not fair. <laughs> um, you got a kid playing in Alabama football or UNC basketball. Their package looks totally different from a kid at Norfolk State, Virginia Union, Virginia State. But um, but it, it's a step in the right direction. But to your point, yeah, what do the parents value? I, I'm just of the belief that in the 80s and 90s, a lot of parents thought the water was cooler, um, the ice was, was colder, um, the beds were firmer, the sheets were cleaner at predominantly white institutions. And, and so now they, I think things go in cycles. I think now, especially with all that has happened, Black Lives Matter, parents are being more intentional about <clears throat> making their kids culturally conscious. Even if they grew up in the suburbs and went to <clears throat> Catholic or private schools, they still want their kids to have that experience. So I, I'm excited about the potential growth not just numerically, but also, you know, in, in so many ways 
at these HBCUs. Uh, and, and to your point, uh, I'll share this. When I lived in, in Maryland, I gave to Bowie State. Um, never attended a class at Bowie State just for the culture. Uh, currently support Hampton, Norfolk State, and Virginia State. Don't be mad at me, Virginia Union. Y'all on deck. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just believe that um, with, with everybody's little bit, like you don't have to commit to $1,000 a year. But if everybody can give something to a foundation or something, it, it could go a long way. And so to your I, point. I, I, I think, and, and not to cut you off, Mac, I think another to, to you, you, and I commend you, first I commend you on, on your support of those institutions, right? right? But I think it's important to also recognize that support is not always financial. Correct, absolutely. You know, we, we, we talk about, a lot in the HBCU landscape, we talk about time, talent, treasure, right? Your I like time, church. Yeah. You know, your time. Can you go and volunteer, you know, your your talent, you know, through your, your employer or your business? Can you offer internships? And of course, you know, all institutions, they, you know, they they need the bag, but I don't, I think it's it's is vitally important for you know, people who are looking to support, you know, institutions that they recognize that it's not just financial, that Absolutely. there are other resources that you have at your disposal that 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 those that institution, its students uh, would really value. Amen. No, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. And um, yeah, there's so many ways we can support one another. Uh, my my charge for people right now is is do something, especially those who have earned a degree from these institutions. Kyle, I'm just gonna say this, I could be wrong, but it seems like me, the biggest adversary to people like me giving, supporting HBCUs are HBCU grads who say, well, I'm not giving them another dime. I'm not doing this. Cause then it's like, well, what, what's my motivation right. <laughs> for right. doing it? If you went there, <laughs> and all you do is show up for homecoming to be a star. And I, I, so I, I need people to invest in our own, especially if you went there. That's, that's just my humble one cent. That's not a dig at anybody specifically. It's just, I've seen that too often. And you're, you're spot on. And I think it's, you know, a, a lot of it stems from, you know, you might've had a negative experience in the business office. Your refund check didn't come on time. Or, right. You know, and we've gotta we've gotta get past those, you know, those things that happen. You know, I I I feel like sometimes, and this is we hold we hold we hold our schools to a different standard than we hold other schools. Yeah. And you know, if because other schools have they Penn State's having issues. You know, Villanova or what other, whatever school, they, they, they have their level of issues just like any other institution. Right. Um, but I think it's, it's important and vital for us to understand that our, you know, I know you've seen, uh, I know that you've seen school days. The, the most poignant part of the movie School Days is when the president and the head of the, the school board 
of the, of the board of directors of the school are talking. And he's talking about who supports, who supports Brigham Young's, who supports. Yep. And he said, you know who supports black colleges? The federal government. And, you know, we've seen over, over the last five to 10 years that there have been, you know, politicians who, who, who don't who want to say what's the need for HBCUs today. You know, so for our institutions to be able to persist, you know, we can't just rely on the state and the federal government. You know, we, we've got to be, be willing to, to give back to our institutions as well. So I, I think that's vitally important to recognize. Absolutely, absolutely. I want to get back to one important point that you brought up, to, kind of changing the subject. Um, you talked about coaches. Um, you coach coaches. And I believe so much of a student athlete's life deals with the interaction with their coach. I, I'm forever indebted to Danny Hill. I could call my, my head coach now, Coach Daniel Hill, and, um, and have a great conversation with him. I've heard people say, especially on the, the high school level and even AAU, that coaching is worse than it has ever been before. Uh, I wouldn't ask you to sign off on that statement, but if if that be the case, what are some factors that are hurting coaches coaching today? So I, I you know, there's a lot there's a lot to that that question. The first thing that I would say is coaches are are, are consumed with winning. Right. So, you know, I look at I, I'll go look at a youth basketball game. Right. It's very disturbing for me to go to a youth basketball game, Mac, and watch kids play zone defense. No fundamentals. Right. You know, I came up playing a game where you the one of the first things you learned was how to sit in the stance and guard your man. And if I often tell coaches that I speak with and consult with this. People think college coaches, you know, that's it's really attractive, right? Coaches, nice suits, and you know, walking up and down the sideline yelling and screaming. The real value of the coaching ecosystem is with youth coaches. Because youth coaches instill in, in young people. Their fundamental, their fundamental skills, sportsmanship, their love for the game. And if they don't get those things at that level, they don't magically get it when they get to high school and they don't magically get it once they get to college. And, you know, to, to, and, I, and I really want, you know, if you have youth coaches that, that, that are listening to this, what you do has extreme value in the, in the progression of, of, of young people who play the sport that you coach. And it's important for us to get back to teaching the basics of the game. You know, a lot of, a lot of coaching today or playing, you know, kids who played, play today don't watch the game, right? 
they're but they watch it to enjoy it, not to be a student. Well, there's a big difference. Well, or and some may not even watch it, and their only scope of how they attach to the game is through through uh through video games. 2K. Right? So that's not that's not the game. You know, I think another huge part of what's going on in the coaching landscape today is these young people aren't who we were, right? I'm, I'm 48 years old. The way that I was coached in 1991, 1992, my high school coach couldn't coach me that way today. And it's not, it's not that the, the kids are, are bad or worse. They are different. And that requires us as coaches to change, to, to meet that difference, right? Coaches have to be equipped with more tools on their tool belt today than, than any other time in history. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. But you have a great deal of coaches today who just want to coach the sport. And they don't want to, they don't want to work on those other aspects of what they and how they connect to the young people they're coaching, what those young people's needs are, you know, what the challenges and you know that they face just to get to your practice. Right. When I, I think of you know, when I started coaching young women, right? I think of every young, think of think of the life of a young woman on a college campus, man. What she may go through with men throughout her day, right? She got, she got, you know, dudes trying to holler at her. She might have a professor who you know, who demoralizes her or, um, you know, who diminishes her. What do those, what do those young, when, they, when those young women come to me for two to three hours a day, what do they get from me that's different? And I think coaches have to really start to expand what it is they have to offer um, other than just being able to draw up a play or helping someone to be able to keep their elbow in when they shoot a jump shot. Right. We as coaches have an opportunity to change people's lives for forever. And I think, you know, you talked about the relationship that you have with your coach. You know, I think of the relationships that I've had with my coaches, but I think more about the experiences that the people that I've had an opportunity to coach, how they feel about their experience with me. That's that's extremely important to me. You know, and you think about this, Mac, and you, you, this is, this is, this is deep, right? We are fully formed adult men, families, you know, jobs, doing well, well adjusted. You can talk to somebody who can tell you about a time a negative interaction that they have with their coach that still impacts them to this day. I'm talking about PhDs, politicians, people of, um, of high regard, 
socially and, and who can vividly take you back to an experience that they have, a negative experience that they have with their coach that still impacts them to that to this day. And I think when we really see how damaging our words are, our actions are, our intentions are with young people, it's important that we take a step back and really look to work at, because that, that's, that's, that's a huge part of it too, Matt. We don't have a lot of coaches that are willing to work at their craft, hmm. right? And, and going to clinics. I, I had an opportunity uh, two weeks ago to co-host a, uh, a coaching clinic at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore with their women's basketball program. And that's based around, you know, Coach Bachelor, who's one of my, my closest friends, and his and understanding that, you know, if we're gonna, if if young people are gonna improve, Mac, we have to improve. If we're not improving, they're doomed. And I don't think enough of our coaches really see um see it in those terms. Yeah. You know, they're the uh, and you know, especially at the youth level, and and I get it, college, high school, you have to win. But I think that there are some things that you can't sacrifice in, you know, in your pursuit of, of winning and success. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just really vital that coaches don't miss the mark there. Yeah, I think on every level, you got to take into consideration, not just winning now, but getting your kids ready for the next level. And, and, and I think it's, it's sometimes selfish just to focus on the right now. Of course, nobody likes losing. I've I've yet to meet a person on God's earth that likes losing. But you have to take in consideration uh, the fundamentals as far as athletics, the fundamentals and the skills that'll get them, you know, ready for the next level. Because I can tell you, um, I, I see youth programs where the team kids may win. The teams. Tra they, they have these traveling leagues now where kids are playing all across the country. But then by the time they get to JV, they're getting smacked. And everybody's wondering what happened. Well, all you did was run a couple plays that you knew they couldn't stop if you had one or two studs, whether it's football or basketball. But the other kids were learning fundamentals. And while they may not be as big or fast or strong as you once were, they caught up physically and the skills surpassed yours. And, and so I just think we really need to take into consideration um, not just the now, but also what's next when it comes to coaching. Um, the other piece that, that I'm concerned about is accountability. When I grew up for the Etrick Trojans, you ran a, a lap for every minute you were late. Um <laughs> Um, if you said something out of pocket or you did something out of pocket, you may not play. It, it was, it was just well understood that you would be held accountable for your actions when kids aren't held accountable. And this is a societal issue. So this, this is a loaded comment slash question. Um, but if we're not holding kids accountable, we are setting them up for failure. Um, I'm not saying coaches aren't doing it but I have seen multiple instances where it's not been done. And, and I'm just concerned about that because these kids, if they get the opportunity to go to college, their coach is nightmare. I mean, they are an absolute nightmare. 
they are those GMFs that will yeah. get you fired. And, and so I, I'm hoping for, for my coaches that are listening, because I have a few that I know do listen. Um, think about the next level, whether it's not just athletically, but also social uh, and spiritual. Um, what are you doing to these kids? And you're right. Definitely can't coach kids the way we did. They did back in this day, uh, on, back in our day. <laughs> I was with a coach a few years ago and he was so nice. I said, Hey man, like, I'm not used to this. <laughs> I, was like, right. I, I was like, Hey, I said, Hey man, I'm a pastor and I feel like fussing at him, you know, before you, man, you need to do something. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, that, that's not how we coach now. I said, Hey man, I, I, I couldn't be a coach. <laughs> By now, my coach would have thrown his hat across the floor and used some language he probably shouldn't have around adolescents. <laughs> right. But that, that was just that was just what happened. I mean, my high school, uh, the coach after I left, uh, he was known for using the paddle. He, he just was known for, you know, if kids got out of line, they'd go to the woodshed, he'd give them a quick set. <laughs> and they go back to practice. Um, and, I mean, that's just that's just was the culture then, <laughs> but but it's a different day now. Um, man, I, I, I'll is, say this before you yeah. your next question, Mac. I, I think the other part is that's that's really concerning that you have coaches who because because of the culture of if I don't like what coach says, I'm going to go elsewhere. I might, you know, I might let the better player do X, Y, and Z. And all for the sake of, of winning. And to your point, it, it really gives us a, a false sense of reality of what, excuse me, of what that looks like not only when you get to college and look to compete in college, but when you get out into the world. And I think that's what more of our coaches need to be able to, to, to really strike a balance in, yes, being extremely proficient and tactical and, and strategy, um, but also in the holistic growth and development of people. Right. And in helping not not so much to shape. Um, I always say I don't want to. I don't want to tell you what to think. But I want to spark your thinking. Right. For because. And, and then. In that I need to submerge my ego. Right. It can't be because you asked me a question, why are we doing this? I should have an answer for it. You know, back when in the day, it's do as I say, not as I do. Right. And that I found, found it's helped me to become a better coach because I need to have answers because this generation, they're going to ask. And that's and this, this the other part of it, Matt. A young person doesn't need me to teach them how to shoot a jump shot. They can go to YouTube and get that. There are so many, there's so much access to information right. on how to improve. They don't need that from a coach today. Now it helps if you're, you, you're able to do that. But what they need is someone who, who can tell them the truth, 
who can help them to understand that they value, that they can tell when they're wrong, to encourage them. And those are things that they can't get from YouTube. Right. Right. What, what sets you apart in your coaching that's different from that person over, you know, that's coaching there. So I, I think those things are, are vitally important. Like we can't be scared to coach kids today. Right. Awesome. Awesome. Man, I've enjoyed this. This has been great. Um, last question I wanted to ask, and this may seem like a loaded question. We've talked a lot about certain things, but if, if you could really stress for any student athlete listening, especially high school, high school or college, what is the best advice you could give student athletes to survive the game, to know the game behind the game and to survive in life after ball? The, the greatest thing that I would say, Matt, is that utilize the game. Don't use the game. Don't allow the game to use you. You know, be willing, be willing to learn about the game that you're playing and recognizing that, um, that this is a game played by flawed people, right? One of the one of the pillars uh, in, in our program at Shipley is grace. Right. How how do you treat me when I make a mistake? Right. How do I treat you when when you didn't box out? Right. How do your teammates treat you when you when you when you when you don't when you make a mistake on the floor? Do they encourage you? Do they, do they support you? Do they lift you up? Right. And I think it's 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 really important for us to to really recognize the impact that sport can have. Bigger than, you know, how much money we can make from it, but how we interact. What we give to people, what we take for people, how we lift people, um, you know, those are those things are skills that you have, you have to be able to utilize to have any level of success in your life as you move forward after this game ends. So I, I think it's, it's really, really important that, you know, our, our, our student athletes really recognize that this game, that they need to use this game for so much more, get everything out of it that they can, not just a scholarship, you know, but an opportunity to build relationships, right? An opportunity. I tell people often, Matt, that when I started playing basketball, I started playing basketball late. And, but I recognized that if I wanted to get better at it, I had to practice. I had to practice it by myself. I had to work on my handle. I had to work on my form shooting, mic and drill. And I would do that every day. And I saw myself improve. I work on my left hand. Understanding how working at it, improvement, that helped give me clarity on how to move in other areas of my life. If you work at things, be it my studies, be it my relationships, you have to provide practice. 
you have to give practice to it. And when you practice it, you improve, you're able to demonstrate your ability. And utilize it. So I've, I, I've, I've always utilized this game. It gave me, it gave me a parameter for, it gave me parameters for how to move in life. And, that, and I'm so thankful for it because I can honestly say as a young person, I didn't have that. It helped me organize my thoughts about how, how to be successful in life. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm so thankful for, for sport and, and basketball, for, for the ways and, and what it's provided me in my life, you know, and the relationships that I've been able to build through. So um, utilize the game for all that you can. Amen. Um, similar testimony. Um, I, I owe so many life lessons from sports. Um, I learned the importance of a uh, work ethic. Um, people don't believe it now. When I was in high school, folks called me the hardest working man in ball business. I would get up at five <laughs> o'clock in the morning, run two miles before high, before school. During lunch, I'd go in the weight room and after practice, I'd stayed after, I would stay after work on my footwork, my steps. It was an all day affair um, for me, even during wrestling and track season, I was still working on the game so that, cause I, I believe, you know, we don't think we react. And, and so when things are done so much, it's as far as the game piece, it was second nature. And I, I, I care, I've carried that over academically work. You know, I, I try to work twice as hard as anybody else. If that's what you're going to do, I'm going to do better. <laughs> um, and so I thank God for, for sports and, um, I feel like I've gotten a lot out of it, not just scholarships and, and degrees, but uh, friendships. And my teammates, you know, you know, in on all levels, we still talk. Right. Um, some of us, we've been in each other's weddings. We've, you know, we, 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 our kids call each other uncle. Like it's, it's just, it's just great. And so, thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, lastly, did you have anything as far as it's bigger than the ball, whether book, podcast, anything you want to share? so that the people can follow you, support you. Uh, we believe in supporting one another here at the Mac Attack Show. Mac, thank you. Thank you again, uh, you know, for the opportunity. Um, you know, it's, these are the conversations you and I have, you know. Um, but yeah, I, you know, to your listeners, I, 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 if anyone is looking to connect, um, please feel free, check out our website, Website www.itsbiggerthantheball.com. Uh, you can follow us at the hashtag on all social media platforms. Uh, it's bigger than the ball. Um, we have a podcast um, that we're actually getting ready to start season four. Uh, the It's Bigger Than the Ball podcast with Coach Kyle Adams um, that I really similar to, 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 to what Mac is doing, man, want to connect with leaders and, and people uh, around the athletic ecosystem who impact and influence the lives of young people. Um, you know, we're on the Apple, Stitcher, um, Spotify platforms. Uh, and then I, I, I'm 
I'm, my, I've written a book uh, that is in editing right now, um, looking to, you know, I think we, we should be published by the start of the new year. So I'm really excited about that. This has been a, a long process, um, but we're at the home stretch with it now. Um, so please look out for that. But, you know, again, for anyone who wants to connect, um, you know, I, I, my phone number is 302-367-3360. Um, I hope that this conversation that we've had today, um, you know, a lot of my, my motivation is based in helping coaches improve. You know, I really want our coaches to, to, to just be so invested in providing these transformative experiences for, for young people. Um, and so if, if anything that we talked about today resonated or, or hit home and you want to talk further, please feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Coach Adams. Uh, we'll be praying for you this season. Uh, continue blessings. Uh, uh, Coach Adams is a humble man. He has an amazing testimony. It's not mine to share, but I just want to say love you, bro. Thank you. I appreciate you. I love amazing you too, man. man. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And keep I winning. Always, Mac, I'm always, uh, I'm always excited about our interaction, bro. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. it's always supernatural. And, you know, I love and, 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 and salute and commend you for all that you're doing um, in your community. Um, in, in your, in your church, man, you just, you're, you are, you are a strong example of, of, of positive manhood, man, in our society. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm honored to, to, to be your brother. I really, you know, I really mean that. Thanks, bro. Feelings mutual, man. Yeah. Um, doing a great job. I, and I didn't get a chance to really talk about it. I, I couldn't imagine coaching young ladies, um, and, and, and I want to be clear, um, young ladies, some of the strongest people I know are young ladies, but just the level of, uh, uh, I don't want to say sensitivity, but maybe that's the word I'm looking for. And, you know, I, I, I've experienced talking to young men, but someone of the other gender who at 18 to 22, those are some of the most impressionable years of a person's life, believe it or not. Young people is very important and extremely important, probably most important. But although they are quote unquote an adult, there's still some maturation that needs to take place. So I, I commend you for the impact you have on, on these young ladies' lives as well as on these programs. Uh, you know, you not only impact the players, but also the programs. And so that's commendable, bro. You know, but everybody you know what, listening, Mac, yes, Mac, I'll tell you this, man. And, and you know, I, 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 I appreciate and receive what you said. Mac, I learned so much from these young people. Man. Mm. Like these young, these young ladies that I've had an opportunity to coach over the last 10 years. You know, I've coached and, and, and I've coached women in the Deep South. Right. Who may have a, a whole different mindset compared to kids. I may have coached at Cheney who are who are northern kids. So it's. Yeah. It's, Arkansas and, yeah. and Cheney are like two totally different worlds. <laughs> but I'm thankful for the ways that these experiences have stretched me mm. and really being um, 
really giving me insight um, to better meet their needs and, and help them um, not only in their progression as players, but as young people going out into this world. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, everybody, this is the Mac attack show. Uh, this is our episode uh, college athletics coaching and HBCUs with our very special guest, Kyle Adams. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. Have a great one. Thank you, Mac. Love you.